Sneezing our way through the end of the year, this is the last episode of The Landscape for 2023. It's your show about America's parks and public lands from the Center for Western Priorities. I'm Aaron Weiss in Denver. And I'm Kate Gretzinger in Salt Lake City. Today we've got CWP's Executive Director Jen Rokola here for a year-end public lands news roundup and a look ahead at 2024. Welcome back, Jen. Great to be with you guys today. Well, I'm really excited to do this because up until 2023, we had been somewhat guarded as an organization when it came to President Biden's public lands record. Over the course of the first half of his first term, there was some good, there was some bad, but a lot of incomplete up until 2023. And Jen, it seems like this year the president really did fill in a lot of blanks. This has been an incredible year uh, for conservation and for public lands. Uh, President Biden and his administration have really hit the accelerator when it comes to making progress. And uh, this has just been a remarkable year. Well, that's the electric motor accelerator, of exactly. course. So let's let's get into it. Uh, January, really, it got off to a strong start. The administration, right off the bat, banned logging and road building on nearly 9 million acres of the Tongass National Forest in southeastern Alaska. That, of course, incredibly important because the Tongass is a massive carbon sink. It holds more than 40% of all the carbon stored in America's national forests. I learned that from Dr. Dem- Dominic Delasala, former podcast guest uh, this year, worth listening to a couple of episodes we did with him. So protecting the Tongass, of course, incredibly important, but it is also some of the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to climate change solutions that the Biden administration could do. Right. Um, And also in January, the administration took a huge step to protect Alaska's Bristol Bay from a proposed open pit copper mine called the Pebble Mine. Now, the Pebble Mine has been lurking around since the 2010s and tribes have been trying to stop it. And essentially what the Biden administration did is the EPA vetoed the mine under Section 404C of the Clean Water Act. Um, And the reason this matters is that Bristol Bay contains the most productive wild salmon ecosystem in the world. So it's a huge economic driver for the tribes up there. And it's just been sort of in limbo for like over a decade. And it's great that the Biden administration finally put its foot down and ended that controversy. Uh, Well, yeah. And also in January, uh, the Biden administration announced a mineral withdrawal in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in Minnesota. And this announcement would protect over 200,000 acres of federal land. And uh, really, the most important part is protecting the area from the threat of copper and nickel mining. All right, we have got to get through an entire year here. And that was just January. So let's move along. Uh, In February, the State of the Rockies project at Colorado College released its 13th annual Conservation in the West Pole Once again, finding that voters overwhelmingly support public lands conservation. Uh, And Jen, this year, really, there was a big focus on water issues. That's right, Aaron. Uh, You know, we've seen, you know, significant drought here in the West. And so uh, Colorado College, the State of the Rockies Project, wanted to really focus on water and uh, the shortage of water. So what we found was, or what Colorado College found, was that half of Western voters said the shortage of water was a serious crisis. Another 39% said that it was a significant problem. Uh, The poll also revealed a knowledge gap uh, when it comes to what voters think 
or who voters think is using the most water, industry and business, farmers and ranchers, or people in their homes. And what we found is that only voters in Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming correctly identified that farmers and ranchers use the most water. In other states, voters thought it was industry. So there is a lot of education still to do uh, when it comes to the water crisis in the West. And I just want to flag one other key finding from that conservation in the West poll. 84% of voters, and of course that means across the political spectrum, 84% support presidents using their ability to protect public lands as national monuments. And among Gen Z voters, that climbs to a stunning 94% support for national monuments using the Antiquities Act. Yeah, turns out the kids are all right. So let's time travel real quick to November. Obviously, there were some smaller elections this year. Jen, do you think that any of the conservation in the West polling played out in those elections? Did we see um, candidates talking about those issues and winning on any of those platforms? Well, we didn't see candidates, but we did see a number of ballot measures um, that focused on funding parks uh, and other uh, conservation-related issues. And I would say absolutely. We saw uh, overwhelming support for ballot measures in Phoenix and Albuquerque, where people voted to uh, increase funding for parks. And a really interesting one was uh, in Texas, uh, where Texans overwhelmingly approved a constitutional amendment creating a new fund to acquire land and create more state parks. And as our listeners probably know, that Texas is a state with very little public land. Very true. I'm from Texas and I didn't know about public land until I moved to Utah. Um, and on that point, I was following that closely as a Texan and every single county voted for that. There was not a single county in the state that did not approve that constitutional amendment. As always, put conservation and parks on the ballot and they will always win. All right. That brings us to March, which was a wild ride. It was March 14th when the Biden administration announced its plans to propose a rule to end future oil and gas lease sales in parts of the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska, which will be known for the rest of this podcast as the NPRA rule. This was obviously very welcome news. We didn't see that actual language of the rule until September. But the very next day in March, March 15th, the Biden administration approved a controversial oil and gas project in Alaska known as the Willow Project. It has been referred to by us and others as a carbon bomb for the amount of lifetime carbon that that project will emit into the atmosphere. Jen, the Center for Western Priorities, I think rightfully, took the administration to task for that Willow approval. So did Willow make that NPRA rulemaking over the course of the year even more important? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we were extremely disappointed in the Willow approval, but celebrated uh, the announcement that the administration was going to do the NPR rulemaking. I mean, the NPR rulemaking is incredibly important. It protects over 13 million acres in the NPRA. And this is an area where Alaska natives use this for hunting and uh food gathering. And uh, it's just, it. while the Willow decision is very disappointing, the NPRA rulemaking is incredibly important in the president's uh, goal of reaching 30 by 30. Right. 
And then um, continuing on in March, maybe piling on the good news there to, to withdraw some attention from Willow, the president designated a Vikwame and Kastner Range National Monuments at the 2023 Conservation and Action Summit. We were obviously really excited about these announcements being a public land conservation group, um, but only one of them was actually a surprise. We knew about Vikwame. We knew it was coming because the president announced his intention to protect Avikwame at the White House Tribal Nations Summit back in November 2022, so a few months before. And then he decided to just wait, which was kind of a strange strategy. And I'm curious, uh, how do you think that worked, Aaron? I, I suspect that was dotting I's and crossing T's and making sure that that monument proclamation had everything that it needed, uh, because I think it shows how intentional the Biden administration is being when it comes to protecting 30 by 30 and using these monument proclamations to help advance the country closer to that goal. Uh, we just saw a report uh, this week from the Center for American Progress adding up that in total, the president protected more than 12 and a half million acres of public lands in 2023. Uh, that is, of course, a very large number, uh, 12.5 million. It's about half a percent in terms of the country's entire uh, land area. So we are making progress, slow but steady, towards 30 by 30. And that is, I think, really the big takeaway from this year. It's something to celebrate. Totally. That number surprised me when their report came out. Um, it's obviously more than just the monuments. It's protections for, honestly, I don't know. What do you think it is? <laughs> it's, it, it, well, it's, it's Tongass. It's old growth forest. It's, uh, it, it's things like the, the roadless rule that we've uh, seen uh, confirmed again and again. So, yeah, it, it is all over the place. Um, and the Antiquities Act, as we've said, is one of the many tools in the conservation toolbox, but there are a lot more at this administration's disposal. That's true. And if you want to see the, the details on that, we will drop the link to that CAP report in our show notes. Um, all right. So let's move on to April. The administration kicked off the month by announcing a proposed rule that would put conservation on equal footing with other uses of public lands like grazing, mining and oil and gas. It would also encourage BLM field offices to be more proactive in designated areas of critical environmental concern, or ACECs. Um, Jen, why is this rule such a big deal? This is really important uh, when it comes to managing uh, BLM lands and putting conservation on equal footing with other uses for public lands. It, it shouldn't be so surprising, uh, but it is incredibly important. And I think I'm going to you know, use a quote that uh, former Senator Tom Udall used to say is that we're going to protect the best and restore the rest. So this gives uh, ranchers, industry, the opportunity to restore lands that have been um, either overgrazed or uh, there's been oil and gas development. It also gives conservation leaders an opportunity to restore lands that, that need to be protected and restored. And when the public comment period on that proposed rule closed in July, we looked at all the comments that came in. 92% of them 
supported that rule. And that, of course, aligns with what we'd seen in the Colorado College polling. It's what we see in our own Winning the West poll. The public overwhelmingly supports conservation of nature and public lands. Uh, That rule, of course, not yet final. We will get to that a bit more when we talk about what's coming in 2024. Let's barrel on into May. Senator Martin Heinrich and Congressman Raul Grijalva introduced a bill that would overhaul the General Mining Act of 1872. Uh, Also in May, Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and Representative Susie Lee, also of Nevada, introduced... Also that month, Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and Representative Susie Lee of Nevada reintroduced their legislation that would end speculative oil and gas leasing on public lands. Both of those good bills, unfortunately, neither seems to be going anywhere in this Congress, especially on heels uh, of reports, especially coming on the heel of a report that this current House was the least productive in history in terms of actually passing bills into law. Uh, Jen, what are your thoughts on on the gridlock and the dysfunction that we are seeing, particularly in the House? Uh, does that increase the pressure on the administration to get these policy changes done another way? Absolutely. I mean, it's unfortunate that Congress is so dysfunctional when it comes to passing meaningful legislation. I mean, we're operating um, under a mining law that is over 150 years old, which is just it's just crazy. And obviously that benefits the mining industry. We've put out a number of reports about the uh, impact of lobbying and campaign contributions uh, that the mining industry has given to keep the status quo. And even there, there are some additional legislation that uh, would even be worse in, than the General Mining Act of 1872. So the administration needs to do what it can do through rulemaking process. But these two bills in particular are really important uh, bills that have to be passed by Congress if we're going to see these types of changes implemented. Um, Okay, so sticking in May here, we also saw the three Colorado River lower basin states, which are Arizona, California, and Nevada, agree to voluntarily conserve 3 million acre feet of water over the next three years in exchange for $1.2 billion in compensation from the federal government. Now, it was kind of a surprise that the three lower basin states could even come to an agreement, and um, the Interior Department was very pleased with that. And they said in October, later this year, that the plan was good enough for now. um, But, of course, we know that they have to, the basin states have to renegotiate a new new guidelines by 2027. So the drama is far from over. Um, In fact, it already ramped up again, apparently, at the annual Colorado River Basin um, water manager meeting in Vegas, which happened in December. Um, apparently, the the tensions were were on display between the upper and lower basins about who's going to cut more, who's going to um, give up more water going into um, 2027. But I think the the key takeaway there is that $1.2 billion, as we've talked about in a bunch of podcast episodes about the Colorado River crisis, uh, the fundamental question here is, do you have to blow everything up or can you just throw money at the problem? And this would suggest that for now, at least, yes, you can throw some money at the problem to kick the can down the road by another couple of years. Uh, All right. We have made it to June, almost halfway there. We're going to really... 
pick up the speed here. All right. In June, the Biden administration issued an executive order establishing a 20-year mineral withdrawal around Chaco Canyon. That's going to protect a 10-mile buffer surrounding Chaco Culture National Historical Park. And that withdrawal really, Jen, has been a long time coming. Absolutely. Uh, this has been decades in coming. I mean, there's been campaigns to protect the 10-mile buffer surrounding Chaco uh, for as long as I can remember. And uh, it was just, it was great to see this announcement in June. Awesome. So next up, we have Senators Wyden and Merkley, who reintroduced a bill to protect more than 1 million acres of public land in the Owyhee Canyonlands in Oregon. Um, the Owyhee Canyonlands area is a huge, largely undeveloped um, sagebrush stronghold. The act is called the Malheur Community Empowerment for the Owyhee Act, kind of a mouthful there. And it would put 1 million acres of public land in southeast Oregon and a 15-mile stretch of the Owyhee River under the protection of the National Wilderness Preservation System and the Wild and Riv- Scenic Rivers System. Um, so this this bill, you know, we just talked about Congress. They're not really getting anything done. We're not really expecting this bill to go anywhere. As great but, as that would be if it did. As yeah, of course we we support it, but it's uh, you know we're realists here. But there is a coalition working to protect the Owyhee that is asking Biden to consider an Antiquities Act designation, and we are working on a film about that. So stay tuned to learn more. Well, and on the topic of monuments, members of the California delegation, congressional delegation, also asked President Biden to use the Antiquities Act to add over one hundred thousand acres to the San Gabriel Mountains National Monument in California. This is another of the National Monument proposals that we could see move in 2024 if President Biden wants to take big steps towards achieving uh, a 30 by 30. All right, on to July when we saw the Bureau of Land Management released its proposed oil and gas rule that would affect how public lands are leased to oil and gas companies. The rule on one hand would just implement what the Inflation Reduction Act Uh, put into law in 2022. But beyond that, it would also update the minimum bonding requirements that are woefully inadequate for making sure that oil and gas companies clean up after themselves. There was, of course, a public comment period for that rule. It ended in September, and we found that this one really took me by surprise. 99% of the comments submitted supported this rule like I did this analysis and thought it was wrong at first till I really looked in like no you have to go look for anyone who thinks this is a bad idea that rule is still working its way through the federal rulemaking process that is of course a theme here in this episode but Jen I want to take a moment to ask about these public comment periods why is it worth looking at tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of public comments the way we do here at CWP well, public the public comment period is incredibly important. It gives the public, uh, you and me, and and people who you know live near these landscapes, the opportunity to comment on something that the administration is considering implementing a rule about. So it it it, it gives people the opportunity to say whether they support something they don't support something. And it also gives the administration the information they need, like what does the public think about this? And uh, are we headed in the right direction uh, when we're going to make you know, some major changes uh, to oil and gas leasing on public lands? So 
Moving on to July, the BLM held a public meeting in Flagstaff, Arizona, to get feedback on the proposed Bajnawavsho Itakukveni ancestral footprints of the Grand Canyon National Monument. Um, one of the longest national monument names we've seen. <laughs> um, the monument is over a million acres, and it's split into three sections that surround Grand Canyon National Park. Now, I went to that meeting, and it was really moving. It was incredible how many people there were in favor of the monument designation. Um, and and the things that they talked about, the, the fact that there is a real threat of uranium mining to the Colorado River and to the tribes, that rely on the water table around the Grand Canyon for their um, livelihood. And that's the Havasupai, the Hualapai, um, and a couple of others. And um, the BLM apparently got the message loud and clear because President Biden did designate that monument less than a month after the meeting in August. Jen, why do you think the president moved so fast? This was a this was really quick. It actually took us by surprise. We were we were off work the day that it, the news came in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think what the president and his administration saw, not only at the public meeting, but over the course of many years in public polling, is that there was broad support to designate this national monument. And it's broad and bipartisan support. And yeah, back in 2016, we actually thought President Obama was going to designate this monument at the end of his administration. And so there has been a long ongoing campaign to protect the 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 area around the Grand Canyon, the watershed around the Grand Canyon. One other flag from August, that's when a federal judge dismissed a lawsuit filed by the state of Utah that challenged President Biden's restoration of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments. Utah, of course, appealed that dismissal. National Monument opponents are hoping this makes it to the Supreme Court. Unclear if that will happen, but the bottom line there, even with this Supreme Court, is that monument opponents are up against a hundred years of case law regarding the Antiquities Act and the powers that it gives the president. All right, keep moving on. Well, we're still in August, sorry to say. (laughs) (laughs) Just can't seem to leave August behind. Um, In August, the BLM released new resource management plans for parts of Colorado, Wyoming, and Idaho. These RMPs got a bit buried under the other big headlines that we just talked about in August, um, but they're actually really important. Um, they, They decide how hundreds of thousands of acres of public land will be managed. Um, The Colorado plan proposes new conservation designations for around 100,000 acres of public land in southwest Colorado and would close um, around 1.6 million acres to new oil and gas leasing, which is a pretty big deal. And the Wyoming plan, which is known as the Rock Springs Resource Management Plan, that would cover over 3 million acres of public land. It would create 16 new areas of critical environmental concern. That's a plan that has caused quite a bit of hand-wringing, I think, unnecessarily in Wyoming. We've got an episode all about that that we'll toss into the show notes. And the Idaho plan, which has gotten maybe less attention, but is also a really big deal, it created a new backcountry conservation area, and it also closed areas with low or no potential of oil and gas development to future leasing. And those backcountry conservation areas are a relatively new designation that helps BLM prioritize habitat conservation without fully closing the land to the potential of extraction. Uh, and, and 
Jen, RMPs, I think as Kate mentioned, are a very big deal that fly under the radar a lot. No, exactly. RMPs are where the rubber hits the road in terms of, in terms of land management. They're not always high profile um, and they take years to create, but they are in effect for at least a decade or more. So they're really important tools to both protecting and figuring out how these public lands are used. Right. I would just add that when Congress can't do anything, um, the RMPs are a good way to get some lands protected. Yep. Because mm-hmm. you have you have to do them, and Congress has told BLM you have right. to do them. Wait, we're still in August. Okay, this is shocking. I'll keep this one quick. Um, at the end of August, NOAA released a proposal to designate over 5,000 square miles off the coast in Central California as the Chumash Heritage National Marine Sanctuary. Now, we did a video on this. It's in our postcards series. Um, so if you want to learn more about that, go check out the video. We'll drop a link. All right, we've made it through the summer. We are into September, where the Biden administration canceled all of the seven remaining oil and gas leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge that happened under the Trump administration. And then we also saw the text of that proposed rule for the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska that we talked about in March. Uh, And after the 90 days of public comment on that one, a big public comment period, we went back and looked and once again, Nine out of 10 public comments said, yes, protect the Arctic and and put in these common sense protections on the most fragile areas of the NPRA. Right. Also in September, um, we saw the final oil and gas lease within the Badger 2 Medicine area withdrawn or or retired by the oil and gas company that held it. Back in 2016, Congress permanently withdrew the entire Badger 2 medicine from oil and gas leasing and provided tax incentives for existing lessees who to voluntarily relinquish their leases. This one company chose not to. And so they did finally reach an agreement with the federal government to give it up, um, which protects the Badger 2 medicine area, which is just this really important part of Montana that sits between Glacier National Park, the Bob Marshall Wilderness Area and the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. Uh, So also in September, Southern California residents, lawmakers, uh, a coalition of conservation leaders asked uh, President Biden to designate the Chukwala National Monument and expand Joshua Tree National Park. This is uh, an area of over 600,000 acre landscape, which is located to the south of Joshua Tree National Park and northeast of the Salton Sea. The proposed monument includes uh, vital habitat for threatened and endangered desert wildlife, including the desert tortoise, bighorn sheep, and and the chukwala lizard. It's also the proposed location for the reintroduction of the Sonoran pronghorn antelope. Uh, This area offers important outdoor recreation opportunities uh, for nearby communities. Uh, We're actually working on a film about chukwala, which we should release uh, sometime early in the new year. I'm looking forward to that. All right, we have made it to October, into the fourth quarter, where we saw the departure of Deputy Interior Secretary Tommy Boudreau. Replacement was Laura Daniel Davis uh, as the acting Deputy Secretary. And Jen, I know you have known Laura for a very long time. Uh, How big a deal is that, uh, to have Laura as the number two at Interior? It's a big deal, and I think Laura is just... The, a, a great person to uh, take over that role. She's worked uh, in the Department of Interior for decades, uh, having worked under 
in the Obama administration, Clinton administration, and now the Biden administration. I think Laura knows the department inside and out and is just a great, uh, a great addition to that position. So also in October, the BLM released a travel plan for over 300,000 acres of public land near Moab called the Labyrinth Canyon Gemini Bridges Travel Plan. That plan was really huge because it prioritizes conservation on those lands by actually closing around 400 miles of dirt road that are largely used by ATVs. We talked to an attorney from the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance on this podcast a few months ago, I guess back in October. Um, And you can go listen to that if you want to learn more about that. Jen, take us into November. Wow, we're already to November, um, which actually brought some really concerning news out of Wyoming about a plan to auction off a parcel of state-owned land within Grand Teton National Park. This area is known as the Kelly Parcel. It's 640 acres, and the state of Wyoming owns the land, and it is constitutionally obligated to use it to make money for public education. Um, To do that, the state wants to auction off the parcel uh, with a minimum bid of between 80 and $100 million. But through a series of public meetings, Wyomingites uh, responded to the proposed auction with so much opposition that the state land board decided to pause. Uh, and it's now up to the governor and the legislature to put together a plan to sell the land to the Park Service or swap it for other federal land in Wyoming. Uh, so stay tuned uh, for what's going to happen with the Kelly parcel. Yeah, more stuff to watch in 2024. All right, well, that brings us into December. We have made it to the end. So far, knock on wood or this piano that I'm sitting in front of right now, December's been kind of quiet. It's December 21st as we're recording this. So if you hear this and there's some big announcement that we haven't mentioned, that's why. Uh, But we did see this month the Biden administration take a step toward protecting old growth forests by banning all commercial logging in them. Uh, we just did a little mini episode with Dr. Dominic Della Sala, our go-to forest guy who thinks it is strong, but not perfect. So go back and listen to that if you want the details on old growth forests. Right. And earlier in this month of December, the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee held a meeting on a bunch of conservation bills. The committee actually voted to advance a few of them, including the Colorado Outdoor Recreation and Economy Act, that's the CORE Act, which would protect over 400,000 acres of public land in Colorado. They also advanced legislation to protect the Dolores River area, Dolores River Canyons area, um, through the creation of a national conservation area. Unfortunately, as we've already mentioned, this legislation is still unlikely to go anywhere. It would have to make it through the House, which is a gauntlet. So that's why we are asking the president to step in and protect the Dolores River Canyon area with a national monument designation. And Jen, as you mentioned in the Denver Post this month, that bill uh, is actually a separate area from the national monument proposal. You've got uh, kind of a dual track going here to protect the Dolores. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the The legislation actually protects uh, the southern section of the Dolores and there, the northern section, which is in Mesa and Montrose counties, uh, should be a mo- national monument. I mean, we, the CWP team, visited the Dolores uh, River uh, Canyon area back in uh, September, and it is an incredible landscape. Uh, and it's definitely on our watch list for next year. The legislation 
that is being sponsored by Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper and Congresswoman Lauren Boebert leaves out the most ecologically important area of the River Canyon. Um, so it'd be great if President Biden uh, designated uh, a monument that would cover the northern part, including uh, the areas included in uh, Mesa and Montrose counties. Awesome. Well, that brings us into 2024, and we promised we'd come back to a lot of topics. So let's start with the proposed rules. There's the NPRA rule, the public lands rule, and the oil and gas rule. And all three of these rules are really important. Honestly, it would be hard to even stack them up against each other and say which is the most important. But unfortunately, the president does not have much time to get them done. That's because of this thing called the Congressional Review Act, or the CRA, which allows Congress and the president to overturn rulemakings within 60 legislative days of the rule being published in the Federal Register. That's the final rule being published. And that means the administration needs to complete these rulemakings well ahead of the next election. In fact, to be safe of the cutoff, they actually need to be completed sometime in April. So um, we're going to have to hit 2024, hit the ground running in 2024 if these rules are going to get done. Yeah, it's going to be a very busy spring. And part of the challenge there, as you mentioned, is that that NPRA cutoff deadline is a moving target and you don't know what it actually is until Congress adjourns for the year because it is backwards looking. If Congress adds a bunch of days onto the calendar, the NPRA deadline uh, drags out a bit more. If Congress wraps up early and goes home because there's nothing to do or they're all running for re-election, then the the CRA deadline moves up in the year. Uh, So for that reason, the Interior Department is under a lot of pressure to get this stuff out the door quickly in the first and second quarters of 2024. Another thing we'll be watching for in the new year is the Rock Springs RMP process. We'll probably see a new draft of the RMP sometime in the early spring. Hopefully the BLM will stick with its plan to prioritize conservation and not bend to the hysterics of Wyoming officials. And finally, we'll be tracking the progress of a number of monument campaigns, um, many that we've mentioned already, as well as releasing some new videos, which we've also mentioned about Owyhee and Chukwala. There's so many good monument proposals in play right now. It's actually incredible how many have come up this year. We went, we came into this year with only a few um, monuments in play, like Avikwa May and Kastner, and we're coming out of this year with just a massive grab bag to, to choose from. Um, and Jen, I'm curious, do you think it being an election year will galvanize President Biden to protect any of these places? Well, I think... What we see is all of these campaigns coming together. So regardless of it being an election year, I think the the pieces are in place uh, for the president to protect these uh, national monuments. Uh, what we do see, though, in an election year is that voters support conservation. They want to see more national monuments. They support the president using the Antiquities Act. And so I think public opinion is on the president's side. And I expect that we will see a number of new national monuments. And I think it's important to remember that national monuments are not a zero sum game. It's not like the president can just do Chukwala and that takes Owyhee Canyonlands off the table. There is a very real possibility that the president looks and says, hang on, I can do all of these. And that can be both my legacy and something to run on because we see from these public comment periods and from polling over and over again, there's no political downside. It is 
all good, both for the country and politically. All right, I'll get off my soapbox there. If you want to learn more about any of these monument proposals that are on the table, check out the Postcards series. We will drop a link to that in the show notes. There's more in there that we didn't talk about, like the Berryessa Snow Mountain expansion. Um, It's all very exciting. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. And Aaron, um, lovely to talk to you as always. As always, see you in 2024. Thank you. From all of us at the Center for Western Priorities, we hope you're having a restful holiday, maybe even enjoying our public lands. I hear the desert is beautiful in winter, just saying. If you want to reach us, of course, you can email podcast at westernpriorities.org. And Happy New Year's, and thank you, as always, for listening to The Landscape.